Hey there, welcome to the new Lighthouse Human Design Podcast with me, Corinne Elliott. And here we're going to be having some soulful conversations and solo musings of mine on all things spirituality, life, writing, entrepreneurship, and of course, human design. We're here to discover who we came here to be here on this planet and to confidently become the highest, most authentic expression of ourselves. So I'm going to help you find out how you can do that. So go ahead and grab a cup of tea and join the journey. And also don't forget to subscribe here on iTunes. Okay, welcome to episode 10 of the Lighthouse Human Design Podcast. And today I have a special treat for you today because this is my first interview on the podcast. And I have Lily Potter here with us, and we're going to be talking all about human connection. And she does some really amazing work around um, how our brains are wired and how we need to have people in our lives. And as an introvert and someone who likes to spend so much time alone, (laughs) I feel like this really is just uh, so beneficial to learn about. And there was actually a time in my life just recently where her work helped me a lot. So we're going to get into a conversation about that. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Lily. Um, I know she is a health coach and a chef, and she just has a lot of different tools in her toolkit. And so actually, let me just get her to tell you a little bit more about what she does, and then we'll go from there. So hey, Lily, how's it going? Hi, Corinne. Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I would say everything I do falls under the hat of health and wellness and helping people um, live high quality lives. So as a health coach, uh, I work one-on-one with my clients to help them reduce stress mainly as their, you know, leverage point to wellness and increase, uh, their health in all areas. And, um, yes, I do personal chef services as well locally, um, and provide meals so people can stay on track, um, with their, um, health goals. So, I do that. And then I just recently I started working with women in the post-divorce years to help them work through the stress that um, comes with such a big transition because it can be one of the things that um, can, you know, rob us of our health. And Mm -hmm. that is a lot of what my, yeah, what the blog post that you talked about that I helped you with, um, it it comes from helping um, us reframe what stresses us out in learning how we can find our point of power and move forward and take ownership of our health and wellness through tough times. So that's sort of what I'm focusing on more these days. Cool. So just to give you an idea of what this blog post was about, um, I had mentioned that, um, so my daughter, she goes to visit her dad every winter in Alaska. And so we spend the whole year together and then she leaves for a few months every summer. And so I just, you know, sent her a message and said, oh, I'm just kind of 
getting used to the idea of being alone <laughs> all the time. Even though I need, you know, a lot of alone time, I do still just love having her around and it's just a totally different scene when you know she's gone for like a good chunk of time <laughs> so um so she's like okay well let me just send you this this blog post that i just wrote and it just it gave me so much perspective about how we're wired as humans to actually need other humans or our people around and it really helped me looking at some of the um, the little exercises that she put in this blog post. Um, for one, it didn't, it made me feel like, well, okay, I'm not just like, uh, you know, a clingy mom who needs to have her kid around all the time. <laughs> I need to have my people because I'm a human <laughs> and how I can re really kind of just allow myself to feel that and to move through it. And it actually did help me move through it a lot quicker than I normally would have. So, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about some of the things that you had mentioned in your post? Yeah. So I'll just also add that, you know, I'm, um, I co-parent and my son is gone every Saturday night and Sunday and during the school year, I don't get him back till Monday afternoon. So depending on the time of year I have, you know, between, you know, around 48 plus hours away from my son. And I know it's not as long as some people, but no matter how tired I am and no matter how much I need a break, you know, within a few hours after I said goodbye to him, I always feel just this, just this sense of just a sadness, depression, a loneliness for his company in particular. Mm -hmm. And um, I really wanted to understand it. And I happened to be um, going through the work of Dr. Loretta Bruning, who runs the Inner Mammal Institute. She created it and she's written a lot of books that I've, I've read almost, well, I've read all of them now and I'm going through her certification process. So a lot of what I have been learning from her helped me understand what was happening with me. So what the blog post is about is what's happening in our limbic system, our mammalian brain, we share this part of, you know, this brain feature with all mammals on earth. And the limbic system's job is to promote our survival. So happiness, what we call happiness is actually the result of four different neurochemicals, um, serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphin. Um, specifically what happens when we are with people we have social trust with or are heard is oxytocin is released. And I know a lot of us have heard about that. It's called the cuddle hormone. It's released during childbirth. And it's also released when you um, touch somebody you love and hug and um, just sort of are spending time around people that you have trust with. So it is associated, it's a happy feeling. So, and it's designed to promote our survival because whether or not we like to think about it this way or not, we are animals and, and mammals have survived solely because we have stuck with a herd to avoid predators, to find food together, to mate, to, uh, you know, just continue promoting our own survival. So it feels good to stick together. And it also feels bad to be pulled apart. So when we are not with who we identify as our herd, and I would say our children are some of the like, 
we have the closest bonds with them because of the oxytocin that was stimulated during birth and child rearing and touching and all that kind of stuff. So we have really strong pathways. And when we're separated from someone like that, whether it's by choice or not, we experience a surge of cortisol and it's designed to make us feel bad so that we go back to our herd so, so that we can keep those bonds tight and stay close. So what happens when you separate from someone you love or you, you know, you're traveling or your child's away, you know, for whatever reason, you're going to have these feelings. Um, and the, the point of power though, is that once you know how this works, you can sort of reframe it. Like, you know, it's not a survival threat, you know, in real life, um, that your, your child is with somebody safe or that, you're going to be reunited with them. It's, you're actually not in a state of danger. So mm -hmm. you can wait for your cortisol. Cortisol has a half-life of 20 minutes. So you're going to feel bad for 20 minutes, kind of. So you kind of have to just um, know that that's what's going to happen. And then the best way to move forward is to figure out how to consciously stimulate happy chemicals. So serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, or endorphin. And when that happens, it sort of dampens down the cortisol feeling so you can start to feel better. So that's what I talked about in the blog post is how to boost serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin endorphin specifically so that that cortisol surge doesn't feel so bad and you can sort of move through it. And also just to give yourself some grace and space around this, knowing that this is how you're wired. Um, and and you aren't in a state of survival threat, which is what that feeling is telling you you are. Um, now in cases in which you are in a state of survival threat, say your child's been taken from you, then you're gonna act on it. You're not gonna, of course, um, you know, sit through it and work through it. So mm, yeah, that is what that, that post was about. And, and it's designed to help people understand what that feeling is and move through it from a place of power. Yeah, actually, it's interesting because even just the examples that you gave about, you know, what's helping to like re re um, release the endorphins and serotonin. Um, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of something that I need to just use every day. <laughs> yep. um, and so it, it, I guess it was just nice to have that kind of just laid out in front of me so that I can see like this is what I've been missing there's been a lot of times where even like going through this separation slash divorce experience um just times where I'm like okay I need I need a serotonin boost <laughs> and so yeah. having that did really help with that um so I'm kind of wondering if does she talk about in her work specifically anything about how having animals around makes a difference because I know that this kind of seems to apply to more to our children because we have you know that that connection but I'm wondering if because I have a, a dog and a cat and I'm wondering if that's <laughs> helping as well yes they're animals they're my pack animals too <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. Um, being around animals and having them in your life absolutely um, is associated with oxytocin release and especially patting them. So um, 
she gives an example in one of her books about how she, the experience of going towards a horse with food in her hand, and they're both sort of nervous. They're not sure if they can trust one another. Because once again, oxytocin, it tells you, it gives you that good, happy feeling when there's trust. So you got to remember that trust is at the basis of all of this. So as you, as you know, she's approaching this horse with her hand out, she's a little nervous and the horse is a little nervous, but as they acclimate to one another and the horse eats, the horse then relaxes and then she relaxes and then she pats the horse and then they both are in a trusting relationship. So any trusting relationship can stimulate oxytocin. So between your dog or your cat or whatever other animal you have. Um, I will note that reptiles do not have this brain system and they do not release oxytocin in this way. Um, right. <laughs> so they, that, that is not, if you have a lizard, you may feel oxytocin, but they are not. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not, it's not going back and forth that way. So yes. Um, and there's, you can also um, stimulate oxytocin by being on social media. You don't even have to be in the same room with somebody. You don't get as much. But anytime you feel bonded or that you've shared an experience with someone that, that feels good, you get a little bit of oxytocin and you get a, a super big boost when you're, you know, in the physical space or, you know, hug somebody that is in your trust circle. So, yes. That's, that's sorry. Um, I was going to say that's super interesting that, mm-hmm. you're, that you mentioned that because I was going to ask you about, you know, we're just you know, so inundated with everything social media these days. Mm-hmm. And I think that it also kind of perpetuates this feeling of loneliness and disconnection in me. And so it's interesting that you said that even connecting with people online, and I'm assuming you mean um, more when you, when you have that actual feeling of connection Yes. Just getting on Facebook or Instagram and scrolling and seeing like a comment and there's no actual connection there really. It's kind of, there's no real, I can't see how that that would really bring in those chemicals that you actually need. (laughs) No, no. It's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, commenting on someone's post and having a conversation or doing a direct message or, yeah, or doing something online like this, having a conversation with somebody, um, you know, we're not in the same, same room, but we're connecting to one another. Um, Mm. so, well, and another interesting thing to mention about social media is, you know, we haven't gone into the other chemicals, but serotonin is associated with, you know, it's released when our status is raised. So in a state of nature, it's the feeling we get when we know that we can, we're in a safe position to, get what we need. So to get an opportunity to get food. Um, And so in the human world, what that looks like is being special or having, you know, looking good or having the nice car, having the good job or having the Harvard degree versus the state school degree. So it's, it's everywhere being played out and it's not a bad thing, but when people feel bad on social media, they're actually usually um, have, you know, having problems with social comparison. So they're feeling, you know, less of a status compared to somebody else. And then they have a bad feeling versus, you know, say you post something that makes you feel good for a moment. You may feel good because you feel like you've, you've shown that you're special or that you have higher status. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just, we're going to do it because we're designed to raise our status so that we 
you know, get that squirt of serotonin. And we know that we're in a safe position to, to meet our needs on the most, you know, just basic survival level. So, um, so, so social media can be used more sav, you know, in a savvy way once you know how all that works. So it can go both ways. It can. You've oh, just wow. got to know, know what you're doing and how to use it to your advantage. So. Yeah. And I can imagine that a lot of times social media gives you that cortisol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because everyone's showing their highlight reel. So everyone looks special and important and wonderful. And even if we are happy for them, our limbic system is going, they have something we don't. And oh my gosh, I don't have that. I'm, you know, and your limbic system thinks, you know, you're not in a high enough status position anymore, which you know, may or not be true, but yeah, that's what, that's what it does to us. Um, so, yeah, I think um, connecting on video, like Zoom or Skype or whatever FaceTime people use, I think that actually, I actually really enjoy that um, more so than um, audio when I'm, you know, doing calls or anything like that. Um, because I feel like there's actually more of a connection. People feel more seen. Um, it's just, I, to me, it feels like there's, there's a more, I feel like these, these nice brain chemicals would probably come into play more often when you're actually looking at someone. Well, mirror neuron, I mean, I don't know if you know what a mirror neuron is, but it's, you know, no, it's not. So a mirror neuron is a neuron in our brains that when we see something, it, our brain goes through the process on its own. You know, it's the basis of learning. You know, if you see it, you can see it in children mostly, you know, if you show them how to do something and they repeat you, you know, they, their mirror neurons have been activated or when we're in a state of envisioning, like say you're doing a positive visioning meditation um, and you see something happening, you're activating a mirror neuron. If, you know, um, Anytime we see something happen, so say you see something tragic and you feel sad or scared, it didn't happen to you, but you've seen it. That's your mirror neurons activating. Um, and they're designed so that we can learn and so we can avoid pain that others have been through. And so we can also see what helps other people and copy it. So once again, it's, it's going back to, you know, how is this going to serve me? So when you're on when you can see somebody else and you can see a smile, it makes you feel good, you know, and, and activates a feel good. Mm. Um, yeah. Moment for you as well. So it, it activates those that you can see. Yeah. So as far as bringing like human, human design into this, I think I just wanted to mention that um, all of this just kind of comes back to our, need for interconnection or connection with other humans and the way that our human design chart shows us this is through our circuitry so when you're looking at the human design chart for example you see like all of these um, numbers and lines all on the body graph and so you might have like a line on there that's connecting a center so that these are called gates and then the other side of the line is um 
is empty. So it, the, the empty part would be white, the, the red or the black part would be defined. And we um, look for people, we may probably not consciously, unless you know human design really well, we seek out people in our lives to kind of fulfill that other, that other gate in us. So if they have a, um, a defined gate that we don't have, then we're more attracted to them. So it's kind of like, this is how we kind of fit together to create this kind of symbiotic relationship. And so the different types in human design also have different gifts and, you know, things to bring to the world or to a project or to life in general. And so we all have these different gifts and whatnot. And so we seek out other types to fulfill different roles in that project or part of life or whatever. And so it's just really interesting how we, we just need other people like in a, in a very like, um, well, I guess, you know, our brains know this <laughs> and our bodies know this and just in a, spiritually we know this. And so there's like um, a tendency to kind of want to have alone time. Or for me, I have this tendency to want to have a lot of alone time. So in my human design, my profile is the 2-4. And so that means my primary archetype is the hermit. And so that means I need to kind of go into my cave and spend time alone so that I can actually have the energy to um, work on things and get things done and not have other people around to kind of interfere with my, I guess, creative flow. But the conundrum is I have that other, that other profile line, which is the four and that's the networker. So that means I, I need other people like friends, family, um, colleagues, et cetera, to be in my life so that they can kind of call me out of my cave and, and show me the opportunities that are available to me. So we need other humans, whether we want to or not. <laughs> and so just, I guess, knowing that and just being, being aware of it um, and just kind of letting it be more natural and I don't know. Just being aware of it is, is always nice, <laughs> but that's how, that's how that plays out um, from a human design perspective. And um, so I'm kind of curious if, so you are a manifesting generator, is that right? Yes, I supposedly, I don't know much about it yet. Oh, okay, cool. But yes, I do know my type. Yeah. Um, so... I'm wondering, so do you happen to know, I'm sure if, you, if you're not that familiar with human design, you probably don't know what your son's type is, do you? No, I don't. Um, <laughs> no, but I will tell you that I am highly introverted as well and always have been. So I, I'm sure I've got hermit in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and like you, I, I have to spend, I, I'm good with one to two hours of human connection a time, at a, a day. Um, and other than that, I kind of like to be by myself too. Um, unless it's, I mean, it, I don't have to, but, um, that's, I, I go days sometimes without really having like in-person human connection just because of the way my life is set up right now. So, um, 
it depends on what I'm going through in my life. But yeah, I don't need as much as uh, most people do, but I like to know my people are there, that I can call them, that I can see them if I need to, you know, that I can get a hug if I want one. Um, so I like them there within arm's reach, but I do like my little space too. And I'll tell you, oxytocin um, keeps us together even when <clears throat> we want to seek a greener pasture. So like, like I said back in the beginning, you know, almost all mammals kind of want their own space because it's hard to compete in a small space for all the things we're competing for. Um, and you know, if you're just looking at another animal, like you can, you know, you know, you can watch like David Attenborough, um, BBC earth kind of specials or like Disney's monkey kingdom and really see this play out in other animals, not humans. And it just, it's just so much more obvious how, you know, there's a certain amount of food on a tree and there are a certain amount of monkeys and well, who's going to get there first? Well, it's usually the ones with higher status. And, and then sometimes those who are not of higher status don't even get the food from the tree. They have to go forage for stuff on the floor. So there's this tendency to want to go somewhere else so you can get what you need. But then if you get too far away, you know, the cortisol goes up and it, tells you to come back. So there's constant give and take, you know, from that perspective, um, as well. So yeah, just finding your individual needs for being alone and, and connection is sort of a dance. And I'm, sh and it sounds like human design allows you to sort of get a little more, um, get into the more subtle layers of that, um, from a personality perspective or from a human design perspective. So I would like to know more about mine, but I guarantee you hermits in there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, I, so, you know, I've looked a lot at different um, personality typing systems, you know, I guess the Myers, the Myers-Briggs is probably the most well-known. And, and so you're kind of, you test into like a certain mm -hmm. Myers-Briggs type. And so you're like, I think that a lot of people really limit themselves to the the type there's you know they're said that they are and so that's really what I appreciate about human design is it, it goes it goes on so many different levels that are so much deeper um, and it, it just shows that we're so like multifaceted we're not just one way all the time we're not just you know we can't just be alone all the time or we can't just be around all the other people all the time <laughs> and so we yeah. just we all have like so many different aspects of us that are um different and it shows in our chart and um and yeah I, I just wanted to put that out there because um you know specifically I've, I've been on some calls with people who um find their type as kind of limiting um especially when it involves waiting because the strategies for most of the types are waiting <laughs> for something, whether it's to respond or to be invited or for a full lunar cycle. And so they're like, why can't, why do I have to wait? I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm not used to that. And so it's just, I I'd like to invite people to look deeper at the other aspects of their chart so that they're not just limiting so themselves to whatever their type says they are as a whole. <laughs> um, so going off track a little bit, I, I, I don't know what, what else we can say. Is there anything else that you think that you feel like we should cover as far as 
what you're talking about? Well, I would say that, um, you know, loneliness is an epidemic and well, supposedly, you know, and, and there's data that shows that lonely people, you know, have a lower life expectancy. It can take years off of our lives. And it's, I would say it's likely because of the effects of cortisol and the inability to feel the happiness you need to, to get motivated to seek rewards and follow goal, you know, like take the steps necessary to meet goals. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that knowing how to build oxytocin circuits is really important, you know, so, um, just taking, you know, Loretta Burning talks about in her book, you know, how to establish new trust pathways, because if you have, don't have the people in your life that you need, you, you still need, you still need people and it can be scary and hard to make a new herd later in life or at any time in life. Um, it takes time to build those social networks and the, that, that trust circuitry. And I'll say that, you know, on average, it takes about 45 days just to build a new neural circuit. And the way to build them is either with emotion or repetition. So, um, I would encourage people who are feeling lonely to, make a project for themselves of a way to build social trust with somebody. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe um, they can, some hobby they're into, they can find a group and start meeting with that person. They don't have to jump, dive right in and bear their soul, but just like little tiny um, steps towards building a trusting relationship with somebody um, is going to help them live a higher quality life. Um, So back to what you said, we absolutely need those connections. Um, and it's, it's helpful to know that it just, it feels weird at first, you know, because we are dealing with, you know, neural circuitry. And when you don't have a pathway paved, it feels uncomfortable. So Mm -hmm. even though something can be good for you, it can feel weird. Um, that's why creating new habits can be so difficult. It feels like you're hacking through a jungle, you know? Um, Mm -hmm you take one step and there's resistance and you take another step and there's resistance. It's like vines growing back up until you've, you've done so much hacking away and repetition of the same behavior that it, then it becomes easy. Then electricity flows down that neural pathway and it feels good. And then you can receive the benefits. So building new trust circuits is important. If someone's dealing with a lot of loneliness, um, you know, proxies like, being online or having an animal or, you know, watching your favorite TV show can make you feel a little bit better, but in the long run, you still need true human contact. Um, and I would say that that's a lot of people are dealing with loneliness these days, um, Mm -hmm. for for a lot of different reasons. And it's, it's important to be your own advocate and to know that you need this and to find ways for you to, to, to meet your own needs. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that because that is something that I know that I definitely struggled with, with this loneliness feeling after, well, so the moment I brought my business online, it was like a few years of just always being online because I wasn't, I was moving a lot and not taking any like clients uh, in person or anything like that. So I had a really hard time when I had a coach my coach at the time tell me I I think you need to get out and like 
go try and do like workshops in person or something <laughs> because <laughs> you're not you're just so like in the online world and it's it's really affecting your your happiness <laughs> and so I had such a hard time with this and it was it just felt so weird to me why I thought why am I having a hard time like going out and, and being around other people I've never had this problem before mm-hmm. um, in a you know a work capacity and so it, it took it took me a while to actually actually get up the strength to like go out and like offer my service to you know this this studio that I went to and it was it was like you know my heart was pounding I was like I can't believe I'm doing this and this was stuff that I had done on a regular basis before so it just it was so strange how much how stressed out I was about actually going and doing my work um, and with other people like in person <laughs> after being you know online and just sitting behind my computer <laughs> for so many years so you're right. It definitely takes like repaving those pathways and t- and building up like building those pathways again to um, trust that you can actually like have like those healthy connections with other people. And I, I'm not I'm not saying that everyone's experience has to be as dra- dramatic as mine was. It wasn't it wasn't terrible. I think it just felt terrible at the time. <laughs> Yeah, it can be it can be hard to put yourself out there. Um, I, you know, mo- our brains between the years of zero to seven is when we myelinate, and myelin is a fatty substance that coats neurons and it creates like a super highway. So electricity flows down it. So whatever got paved then is sort of like our foundational brain. You can't undo it. So what felt good then is um, will always feel good. And this, and the same thing happens in the teenage years. So a lot of us are walking around with brains that were, you know, are, are set from our childhood and our adolescence and everything else that we, all the other neural connections we make after that take a lot longer and they're a lot harder to create. And I'll just tell you that, you know, I've had two best friends since I was six years old and nobody can replace them. I mean, no one can ever feel like they feel to me because, you know, they were there for my most formative years. Um, the same thing with my family, you know, my sister. So I have a lot of newer friends, newer, you know, a lot of them I've met because of my son and I have great connections with them, but none of them feel like my old friends. So sometimes I'll struggle with loneliness for my old friends. It doesn't matter if I go meet a new friend. I want that old connection to be stimulated. Mm-hmm. And well, my friends don't live here. So, you know, you know, one of them's in Oregon, the other one's six, seven hours away. My sister doesn't live here. So like the people that feel the best to me are usually not available to me. So I, um, I do have to work really hard at also making stronger connections, the people that I can have access to so that I can, you know, feel better. Um, so that's another, another perspective with that. And it, it is hard to like go out and just walk into a yoga studio and put yourself out there because your mammal brain is going, I don't know these people like, and that's why you, you were, you know, when you said your heart was beating, I mean, that's cortisol Yeah, <laughs> saying, I don't know this. And, and of course it's crazy to think that you're, you're I mean, you're not in danger in a yoga studio, probably mm-hmm. not. I mean, <laughs> But your limbic system's going, I still don't know these people. They're still new to me. So it doesn't matter. Like, 
this is not something you can think about, like you can rationalize with your cortex, you know, our prefrontal cortex, which is unique to humans, does not create these happy chemicals, our limbic system does, and our limbic system doesn't speak in language, there's no, there's no words, it's just, you know, feelings, and then our cortex tries to make sense of them, and so it's just this constant dance between trying to, to figure out what our feelings are and, you know, what's happening. But if you can know that you're, know, your, your limbic system's always just trying to promote your survival and this is how it does it in its quirky own little way, then you can kind of like, you know, I call it just mastering your mammals. You can just kind of go, oh, well, that's why I shouldn't feel silly for this. It's just the way I am and I just need to build a trust circuit or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And that's really how I felt when you sent me that, that blog post. Um, just knowing, you know, what, what all this stuff was and what it meant and how it just made so much sense. It, it did make me feel so much better. Like I was like, okay, well this, that's just what this is. It's not, you know, it's actually, it's an actual thing. <laughs> so yeah. it's not a big deal. <laughs> That's why I think I latched on to Dr. Bruning's work so fast. You know, I have a degree in psychology and childhood education. And in all of my years of studying psychology in the brain, I'd never heard this ever, you know, I mean, and, and she and her career um, did not study this until after she retired. So, but she's written lots of books. Um, and as soon as I just read her work, I read all of her books. And then as soon as I saw she offered training, I signed up <laughs> to be a, you know, become a certified inner mammal trainer because I just think it's so empowering. It's just, you know, and it's so obvious <clears throat> and I, it gave me relief and I want to share that relief because, you know, the root of everything I want to do is help people just know themselves so they can relieve stress. Um, and live a high quality life, you know, and have, you know, a nice sense of well-being about their days. Yeah. Knowing you know, yourself definitely I'm, helps. I'm glad it served you well. It's, that's its purpose. It served me well. And now I want to, you know, serve others with the same content. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, just to wrap up, I guess, I'd like to let everyone know where they can find you so that they can read this blog post. And so they can little, I guess, know a little bit more about your work. Yeah. So my website is lilyhopepotter.com and I'm on Instagram uh, as lilyhopepotter and I'm on Facebook. So, and I'm, I'm writing more blog posts. Um, geared towards reducing stress and boosting happiness and well-being so there'll be a lot more out about that um and that's where i am for now cool so yeah i mean as you guys can tell she has like a wealth of information about this and it's just it's so different and, and than stuff you know the stuff i've heard before and it's it's just, it's so on point and it definitely really helped me in the situation I was in. So if you are a mom or, if, and, or and you have your kids going away or if you're going through a separation, a breakup or a divorce, anything like that, or if you just really are craving connection with other human beings, definitely go to Lily's website and check out her blog and I'm sure there's some other things on there as well as this post. And I'm not sure what the name of it was, but you'll, you'll find some good things on there. And um, 
like she said, um, getting to know yourself really does help and help you to feel better and create a better quality of life. So I think human design really comes into play here as well. And knowing the brain, that's, that's just, I didn't realize how important that was because all of these chemicals are just, you know, things that we talk about in different aspects and of health and whatnot. But when it actually can be applied to your life in this way, I, I'm just like, okay, I need to pay more attention. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, is there anything else you wanted to say, Lily? Oh, well, just thank you for having me on here. And it was really fun to chat about this topic. Um, and I hope it helps your listeners. Yeah. Thank I, you I would also me. say um, thank you to Dr. Bruning, because without her work, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I, I would recommend your listeners, if they're really curious, to get some of her books. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll link that up like in the show notes and we can talk about that. Um, about where we can find her and yeah so thank you so much you guys for listening to episode 10 of lighthouse human design podcast and definitely go check out lily and if you don't have your human design chart yet go to the zenfam.com and get your free human design chart plus a little mini reading where you'll learn about your superpowers and We'll see you next time on the next episode. Bye.